This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that by your wisdom you would reveal yourself to us, that you would make yourself known, that we would understand you, and in understanding you, know ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today is uh, what the church calls Trinity Sunday. Now it's been celebrated as that uh, traditionally down the years and so I thought it'd be great to spend some time thinking about the Trinity because like many people I'm sure you are perplexed and confused by the Trinity. Uh, someone once said the Trinity has been designed to give ministers something to do on the other five days of the week because we only work one day a week of course. It does seem like a piece of poor mathematics, after all. But what difference does it make anyway? If we didn't mention or worship the Trinity, would it make any difference? Well, I want to tell you today that the Trinity is one of the most beautiful and glorious truths that a human being can know. Among other things, it answers for you and me the question, what is at the heart of Of the universe. Now, your first reaction to that question might be also, well, why does that matter? Does it matter what's at the heart of the universe? How does that help me pay the bills or get through the day or deal with my troublesome family or find peace and love? But thinking about how that question is most often answered in our own time shows why it matters for those personal everyday questions. Because Of course, uh, some will claim that the universe is merely matter plus energy, that at the heart of the universe is really forces uh, and stuff driven along in a sequence of cause and effect all the way back to the Big Bang. (coughs) Pardon me. We are then simply the product of this blind, impersonal force, a byproduct of the massive random number generator that is the cosmos. Life itself arises as a result of the brutal Darwinian principle of survival of the fittest, with everything we know and feel reducible to the process of eating, having sex, and dying. Everything else is just an evolutionary trick to get us to eat and reproduce before we die. We talk of noble principles like love and human rights and peace, but the joke's on us because they don't exist. If this truly is the heart of the universe, then you are a very insignificant creature indeed. If this is how things are, then to quote that great late 20th century philosopher, Freddie Mercury, nothing really, what? Matters. Anyone can see. All our talk of meaning and purpose is just an illusion. And although people like Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking will talk impressively about human rights and the environment, this merely papers over the reality that their worldview gives us no reason to believe that there is such a thing as good or evil. Their universe is cold and loveless. There's no love. There's only survival. And if that's true, then how should you live your life? 
will take as much power and as much pleasure as you can get while you have the time. Sure, you might have to bluff people that you actually care in order to survive. It's a good evolutionary strategy, but nothing more. There is no such thing as a fixed and eternal good, but only what is socially conventional, only good manners in the end. So do what is popular in order to get by. (coughs) Pardon me. Now, of course, most people do not live as if the universe is the product of blind forces. We don't live that way. We don't talk as if it is because we don't really deep down believe it. We have a word for people who don't believe in love or in right or wrong. They are a psychopath. Now, some atheists are extremely fine people and their advocacy for human rights puts Christians to shame. But they are inconsistent if the universe is a blank emptiness made only of matter and force, then the psychopath has a point. The Christian doctrine of the Trinity, on the other hand, tells us that at the heart of the universe is not chance or power, but love. Yes, love. The universe around us is knit together, not by chance, but by love. The atomic substructure of your body is composed not by ruthless necessity, but by love. The sun rises happily on us each day, not by accident, but because of love. Now, of course, I need to explain this because at the moment it does sound impossibly cheesy, doesn't it? That's because the word love has been co-opted by everyone from hallmark to pornographers so that we become used to it not meaning anything. But the Trinity, the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, the biblical teaching that God is three persons in one, tells us two essential things about love. It tells us that God is love, firstly, and secondly, it tells us that God loves the world. God is love, and God loves the world. So first, God is love. That's what the Bible explicitly says in 1 John chapter 4. It says it actually twice in that passage. It never says anything quite as strongly about God as this. God is love. And what could that mean? C.S. Lewis, the great writer, great Christian writer, said, The words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. You can't have God as an impersonal force and believe that God is love. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, there was not love. And when we hear Jesus teaching about himself and his father, we get more of a picture of what this means. In John's Gospel, in chapter 5, Jesus says, For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. And in John chapter 14, we hear Jesus say the opposite. The world must learn that I, the son, love the father and that I do exactly what my father has commanded me. The father, says Jesus, loves the son. The Son loves the Father. And they are also, Jesus tells us, united in love to a third person, the Holy Spirit, 
the counselor or advocate. What Jesus reveals to us is that God is one. God is a unity, as every Jew and every Greek philosopher agreed. But Jesus teaches us also that in that unity there are three persons and that that unity is constituted by love. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. He's in the Father and the Father is in him. They're so close, in other words, these persons, that they overlap. They live in one another. God exists and has existed from before the creation of the world as a holy relationship, as a community of love, a society of three brought together in love. Our God then we know as the God who is by his nature and in his essence love. Now, communities, societies, groups of people can be united by all kinds of reasons, can't they? And you hope that families are united by love, but they have at base a biological kinship that unites them even when they don't have love with one another. A sports team or an army is united in the task of securing victory over the opposition. They are united by a common enemy and a common task. A society may be united by a common dream about prosperity or freedom. A trade union unites in order to secure better wages and conditions for its members. But the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity aren't united because they have a shared project or because it suits them to do so. It's not a union of convenience. And they're not even united because they have a biological connection. Their oneness consists in their self-giving, other-person-centred love. They glorify one another. And that extraordinary picture of the eternal circle of love in God leads us to the second essential point. Remember, the first essential point is that God is love. God is love. And secondly, God, do you remember, loves the world. God is love. God loves the world. The, God, the love of God starts with the love between these three. But it's an expansive and generous, overflowing love that cannot stay within that circle of three. It's a love that results in two amazing things. The love of God for the world is poured out in two amazing directions. First of all, it's poured out in the creation of the world. The Bible tells us in several places at the beginning of the book of Hebrews and the beginning of the book of John that the Father creates the world for and by and through the Son whom he loves and by the power of the Spirit. God has made this world not of necessity, not of duty, but because lovingly and tenderly out of his love he chooses to. And we human creatures, do you remember from the book of Genesis, have been made especially in God's image, in the image of that God who is love, as those creatures whom he specially loves and are called by him into love. 
You can tell when something is made with love, can't you? Something that's made with love is not made to show off, but neither is something made with love the result of, or will it exhibit, shoddy workmanship. When I was trying to think of an example of this, of something made with love, I could think no further than my mother's lasagna. I can smell it now. Is it a fine dining experience? And with respect to my dear mother, who was here just a couple of weeks ago, I have to say no. It's not a fine dining experience. It's pretty simple. It's got mince, it's got pasta, it's got white sauce, bit of tomato. But it's made with heart as a gift for those she loves. And its taste is a unique expression of her personal love. The world that God has made, the God who is love, including you and me, his creatures, tastes of God's personal love. It is a unique expression of who he is. And who he is, well, God is love. And that leads to the second amazing result of God's love for the world. The first that he creates it, of course. The second is that he loves the world so much that he enters it to redeem it. The most famous verse in the Bible tells us this story. Do you remember it? For God so loved the world. To God so loved the world. John 3.16 this is. That he gave his only son. He so loved the world. Not only did he make it with love... He sent his only son into the world. God's love for the world tells us that evil and suffering deeply sadden him, including your experience of evil and suffering. God's love for the world tells us that our sin matters to him since he made us for relationship with him. Anything that corrupts that relationship, takes that relationship away, deeply saddens him and matters to him because he loves And it's from this love, this broken-hearted love, that the Father sent the Son into the world to die for us. John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 4. This is how God showed his love among us. It's a great drum roll statement, isn't it? This, listen, this is how God showed, you want to know, do you want to know how God showed his love? Listen. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And in particular, how did he show us he loved us? He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence to us that God is love. And that his love is for the people that he has made. In Jesus Christ, the three-person God who is love, draws us to himself so that we can have relationship with him, so that we can know his love and live in his love. In Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God who is love, you and I can know the tender, loving care, that care with which the universe itself was made. 
in this expression of love for you and I. A love that overcomes the obstacle even of your sin. Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, the passage we had read for us a little bit earlier, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. When we know Jesus, the Son, we know the one who intimately knows the Father. He didn't just meet him once or twice. He didn't get the Father's business card so that he can hook us up with God's email address. To know Jesus, the Son, is to know intimately the Father whom he loves and who loves him. So then, how does that help me with my bills, my work, my relationships, my quest for peace and love? Well, Jesus goes on to say in that passage, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And that's not just a sentiment. It springs directly out of what he's just said about his relationship with God. When we come to Jesus, we don't come merely to the outer rim of things. We haven't come into some divine outer circle. We encounter in him the God who is at the heart of the universe, the one who flung the stars into space, whose very name is love. We can know rest for our weary bones because we truly have come to the one who cares. We know that our heavy burdens can be lifted from our backs because he is the one in whom we know not just any love, but the love that dies for us, the love that bleeds. And in this love, we can know forgiveness. Do you know that you are that profoundly loved? But also, we are filled with the love of God to love with the love of God. John tells us, we love because he first loved us. To worship the one God in three persons is to say that loving relationships are are the fundamental point of existence. I was thinking about this in between services, and uh, you know those phrases that you hear, you are what you eat. Or you are what you wear, that we toss around with, with uh, gay abandon, you know, that uh, it really shows that what you eat is important or what you wear is important because it says something about you. Well, in fact, a more profound truth is that you are what you worship. What you worship will say what you, what, what you are. It will reflect in who you are. When you worship the God who is one in three persons, the God who is love, you will be saying, you are declaring that loving relationships are the fundamental basic unit of existence. They are at the heart of the universe. Relationships are what it is all about. When we receive the forgiving and redeeming love of God, God pours love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit so that we will love as he loves. Paul tells us that in Romans 5, a passage we had read for us last week at Pentecost. God pours his love by the Holy Spirit into us so that we will love as he loves. 
The Holy Spirit creates a community that is one body with many members, a community that is constituted by none other than the love of God, a place where we are supposed to see God's patient, self-giving and costly love exercised. And that's your calling this Trinity Sunday. If you know the love of the God who is Trinity, if you are supposed to be what you worship, do you love like this God? Do people know your generosity and your kindness? Or are you mean? Are you known for your other person's centeredness or for your selfish ambition? ruthlessly clambering over the bodies of others to get what you want. Our society bizarrely admires this. Do you work to reconcile with people? Are you a peacemaker? Or are you known to be at war with people as a divisive and angular person? Are you drawn towards others? Or do you stand apart. Now, I don't want to be sentimental here. We know from God's own love for the world that love that means anything can hurt. Real love takes real courage. It takes the risk to love. Real love involves not just vague feelings and greeting cards, sentiments, but real acts in the real world, that kind but true word, that hour spent listening by the hospital bed to the person who tells the same stories every time you hear, that budgeting carefully for generosity, the letting go of bitterness, oh, how we love to harbour and nurse our bitternesses, that willingness to make yourself vulnerable by apologising, being the one to initiate a reconciliation when you feel you are wronged, the cooking of that meal for someone who really needs it, that gesture of love, the opening of the home, the being present for the sake of the other person when you are busy when you have many demands on your time. And I want to ask you, are these the acts that we at St Mark's are known for? Are these the acts that you are known for? We have as our mission statement, our motto, is that we are transformed by grace to love one another. Love is our constitution, and so therefore love is our mission. Are we keeping our mission Are we reflecting the God whom we worship in our love for one another, in our difficult love for one another? If we truly do worship the God who is Trinity, not just in word but in reality, then people will certainly see it in us. So my question for us today is, is it there to be seen? Amen. Thanks for listening. 
please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.